Turn to Isaiah 55 for our introductory thought. Tonight we're going to speak about the Sabbath. Yeah, keeping the Sabbath. So, oh boy, we're all in trouble. huh? Did you go swimming on Sunday? Work in your garden? Travel a long distance? The Sabbath. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, uh, yeah, it's so uh, important to understand that the, the new life we have, by the new birth, we have the Spirit of God, and we have the mind of Christ. And that mind has the capacity to take God's thoughts, which are written here in the Bible, and we compare them one chapter with another, with a verse, with another verse. Uh, in our life of faith, we, um, we are looking at the invisible. We are looking at God, but he is invisible in Psalm 27. We also have him before our, our face, and uh, we read that where in Psalm 27, verse 8, God said to the psalmist, seek my face, and he said, thy face I will seek. And, uh, and I always think of my, I have a face behind my face that I see, um, not with these eyes, but with this heart, and we actually have a life of faith where we live beyond. So let me let me make a little sketch here. Here's your life and and your capacity in life is something like that box. Uh, we could say it's how we naturally think, how we naturally evaluate, how we live. Um, uh, how we dream, even how we rest. I like that. I'll put down here, rest. Because the Sabbath is about, is a mystery, something I want to show you tonight, uh, something beyond the natural man. Have you ever noticed how you could work very hard and you go on a vacation and it doesn't really work? Or you just say, I got the weekend I'm going to take and I'm going to get caught up on my rest. And uh, it's more running around, maybe, or stress or sleepless night or anxiety or something uh, kind of bubbling up in your heart, in your mind where you are not satisfied. You're somehow frustrated and so you go on week after week, month after month, year after year. And it's a good question. Has God ordained for us to have a Sabbath? And what is it? So the beginning, first point here is this one, 55 verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. This is a big part of the Sabbath. It's new thinking. It's a way of thinking that comes from the Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath. We'll look at it a little later, but just look at that verse 8. Your thought, my thoughts, and then my ways. Let's write down in here, in the box here, my thought, our thoughts as people, you know, Bob, Tom, Nancy, you know, our thoughts, our ways are not his ways. 
So we could maybe make a, make a bigger box. You've seen me draw this kind of thing before. The bigger box. And that's where we're going in our message tonight. We want to lead you in thinking about, about life. And, and we're not making it up. It's, this isn't theoretical. This is, this is something to meditate on and the Holy Spirit to show you and teach you and myself what it is that we are part of, what God is wanting to show us, why Jesus Christ came into the world. Why did he come? Because we needed a Sabbath. Why did Christ come? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Why? Because he knows that we wear ourselves out here in kind of a small world. And that's what I, I, wanna, I want you to ponder tonight. That unfortunately, when we are in our, our small world of uh, unbelief or Worry, anxiety, fear, idolatry, when, when we have other things that are before our eyes, our world, we don't find the rest that God has for us. Isn't that profound? That's something for our hearts to think about. Go to the second part, we'll finish here. Revelation 12. I think I better have you just kind of uh, talk for a second. Can you, did you package what I just said? Put it like in a few sentences and say it to your neighbor, uh, just, to, just to test your neighbor. And just say to your neighbor, what did he say? Come on. What did he say? Just in a few sentences. Explain that diagram. To, <laughs> explain that diagram to me. Okay. Well, we had uh, we had a tremendous week with Pastor Monty coming as our guest, and we enjoyed so much the whole week and all the prayer and our, our missions night last uh, Sunday night. Uh, our our visitors had come, and and the the direction that the Spirit wants to lead us. And I'd like you to, so we have number one, that, that the thoughts that we have are, are, we want to go from our thoughts to learning his thoughts. So the, how important is it? And how does that work? How can I get his thoughts? How can I go from my ways and my thoughts to his ways and his thoughts? I'd, I'd like you to draw your attention to this verse, Revelation 12, verse 11. We, we could go, verse 10, we'll go to verse 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. I love to read about the voices in heaven, the voice like a trumpet or a loud voice or the, the voice like many waters. Have you ever been to a waterfall? Niagara Falls. It's just deep sound and just I love this whole idea in heaven. There are these voices and this is a loud voice. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Now, when does that come? Well, in one sense, it's a historical reference for the future, the coming of Christ, the kingdom of God on the earth. But there's an application, and that application is for us. You know, I, I recommend you to, to hear Dr. Stevens's message, the signature message of the ministry called Throne Words. And it's coming from this text. And he's saying, now is come, like today, tonight. Now, in the time of Abraham, in the time of Noah, in Solomon's David, 
Now is the time of the kingdom. Uh, how? It says here. The accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So who is that? Who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan. How, how often does he accuse you? Day and night. He can't get enough of it. Day and night. The way he takes you down. The way he attacks us. How often does he attack the church? Day and night. How many years? Every year. How many millennium? Every millennium. How often? Day and night. How does he work? He accuses the brethren. You haven't done enough. You're not good enough. You don't pray enough. You're not righteous enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't evangelize enough. You're not a good worker. You're not a good mother. You're not a good father. You're not a good teenager. You're not a good young person. You are, you are nothing and so on. And you can just fill it up. And, and that's all so much in the world that we live in and in our own minds. It, it's a very common way of, of living, actually. Uh, the thoughts of man, the ways of the devil, the way of man. And many times man works to get out of it. We can make a little picture here, maybe the same, <clears throat> same picture. And he just wants to uh, make a way, like a stairway, and somehow get out of it. He, he, he just goes in. He's in the same mode, but he, I, I'll get more money. I'll prove myself. I'll improve my life. I'll, I'll make improvements. I'll get better at what I do. I'll go to another, uh, another phase. I'll, I'll make better investments. I'll improve. I'll, I'll make uh, steps. I'll do it. How much Sabbath does that man have? How much uh, trouble is in his soul? How does he sleep at night? Can he ever stop? Can he ever be really quiet inside? Is he ever really satisfied on the inside? Or is there always something missing, always something lacking? You know, this is the idea. So look at verse 11 with me. They overcame him in verse 11. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Oh, I just feel like I, I'm like, I'm just so, so happy about this message, honestly. I just feel like we're right. I want you, you're right with me, I know, you're right with me, but follow this. There are three things in this verse 11, and you need to memorize them, because this is how you overcome the devil who accuses you day and night. This is how you overcome the accusation. There's three things there. Number one, the blood of the Lamb. Now, ma many people don't understand this, uh, this whole idea of the blood. But as a born-again believer, you should learn about the atonement from the book of Leviticus. Learn about what it means when blood is shed. By the way, blood is a unique substance in the world. Actually, there's nothing like it. There, it's so amazing. I, I read in a, a, in a, in a book that there were 28 different, there's so many properties about blood. In the medical world, if they can get your blood, they can tell you what's going on in your body. Blood is an amazing substance. It's kind of like God put blood in our bodies, and he's using blood, and he says the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's how you live. It's by the blood taking the oxygen out of the air, uh, nutrients, and so on, and you understand it. But I, I want to make a point here. It's the blood of the lamb 
that is uh, has authority, and it's the blood of the land that gave us access to this. Look up on my picture here. This bigger world with God is possible because of the blood of the Lamb. What do you mean? It's by the blood we have access to God. It's by the blood that we are justified. It's by the blood of the Lamb our sins are forgiven. It's by the blood of the Lamb that we have access to heaven. It's by the blood of Christ. It's a unique substance. It's eternal. That blood that never, never will always wash our sin away. It'll always say, you are enough. You are enough. You see, in the little box here, there's something missing all the time. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where it says, The crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is lacking, and there, there is always that which is lacking. Number two here in this verse is the word of their testimony. Now, this I want to be careful with this, their testimony. The word of their testimony. Now, this is how you could say, what's your testimony? Well, my name is Tom. I'm from Rome, New York. I grew up in a family, and I went to that school and this school and, and so on, and I eventually, I went to college somewhere, and I got saved. I was born again, and, you know, that's my testimony. But this is a better one. The Lord says, yeah, yeah, I know your te- your testimony is like everybody's got that. Everybody that's been born the first time. Everybody has a troubled life, or everybody has sin in their life. Everybody has failed. Yeah, I know about that. Your mother and father where you were born, if you had a mother, or you're adopted, or you were forsaken, or you're an orphan, or you have a disability. I know all that. That's not your testimony. Your testimony starts in higher ground here. Amen. What is your testimony? It's, it's that it's actually God loved me and decided before the foundation of the world that I would be his child and that God was born, incarnated in Bethlehem. And was he obedient? Christ was obedient. Was Christ a servant? Christ was a servant. What's your testimony? I'm giving you my testimony. My ta- I, the, I overcome the devil by the testimony of the Son of God. Not my testimony of my life, but the testimony of the Son of God who loved me and came and died for me and sent his Spirit into me. And that that Holy Spirit is our teacher for my thoughts are my thoughts, but God says, my thoughts are this way, your thoughts are that way. Your way is to kind of build your life and talk about yourself and try to climb up and improve yourself and become a better person or something like that. But there's no rest. There's no Sabbath. You're always short. You always fail. You're always, there's always something empty. There's something that you cannot find in this world. You need me. And you will overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony, which is actually his. Yeah, the devil say, Tom Schaller, he's not obedient. And I say, listen to me in the atmosphere. I got something to say to you. That Jesus Christ came into this world. He was obedient. I was not. He was obedient. And in his obedience, he has imputed to me his righteousness. And his spirit is living and dwelling in us and leading us in a life of faith. And we overcome the devil by Christ's testimony. But there's a key here. It's the third one. 
Look at it. They loved not their lives. They loved not their lives. Look up at our diagram. Do you know that there are people that want to stay in this world here, this one? They love their lives. They're miserable lives. They're guilty lives. They're successful lives. They're prosperous lives. They're wealthy lives. They, I just need another house or another boat or another bank account or another business. They love their lives. They love their lives. But you can't get outside of your life without saying, Lord, I don't love my life that much. I'm looking for something more. And I love not my life unto the death. What is the death? The death of the cross. Is that martyrdom? It can be, but isn't it daily? When you bring your life to the cross every day, and you give your life up, and you say, Lord, I'm not searching for the things that are on this, in this world, whatever form it might be. I'm looking for something greater. I want you in my life. You will fill me and satisfy me and give me the Sabbath that I'm really hungry for, the rest for the people of God. Is that good? Is that clear? Let's just read it again and finish that portion. This is verse 11. And they overcame him. You can read it out loud with me slowly. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. We love our life, but no, we don't love our life that much. Love to be alive, love to live, love the family, but not that much that I'll get stuck in a world without a Sabbath, without a rest, without his peace. I'll get stuck in life of striving and working. And by the way, I think... In America, I think the Chinese work. I talked to A.V. Alton, and this is just an opinion, not a research fact. But the Chinese people, I think we all know Chinese people in some measure, they work a lot. They work seven days a week. They work a lot. The Japanese people work a lot. The Koreans work a lot. Americans, we work a lot. And we, get, we are very busy, and we work a lot. We do a lot. But I, I want to use that to illustrate our, our, the importance of this uh, thought that we'll go into in the, in the second part of the message. Okay? Amen. Uh, yeah, praise the Lord. I want you to uh, digest that for a second. You want to do it? Just talk to your neighbor and just... Hoop it up a little bit and go, yeah, I got that. Yeah, go ahead and talk for a minute. Okay, so we have uh, the second part of the message, and this is 10 or 15 minutes, I think, but it's so good. I'm so happy about it. I'm excited about this message tonight and what it means to us. So uh, I, I don't want to lose you, though. So. Are you awake? Are you ready? Are you are you good? Do you need to stand up? No, no, no. Please, no. I don't want to stand up. Uh, let's see if I can come up with a joke. I got to do it on the on my hand. I don't can't even. Uh, in one year, you know, I was born on leap year, so I didn't have a birthday this year. Today it was 28th at midnight. My wife said to me, "Happy birthday!" Then we were. Then it was over. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, in one year, I'll be 18 leap years old. Yeah, I'm really growing slowly. Or what? 
Packing it in. So for, you know, you have a birthday every year. I have one every four years. Uh, thanks for all the greetings and all the good stuff that uh, you communicated to me about that. But um, I'm uh, trying to make a joke. It's, it's not working. Are you awake now? Are you ready to go? Okay. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke 6. We're going to jump a little bit around. And uh, read this, Luke 6. Verse 5. There's a context for it, but I, I, because of time, and maybe at another time, uh, another message on this will... We'll cover the whole text. But he said to them that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. The Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. So in Jewish law, as you know, there were many regulations that were in different categories. There's the moral law. There is the uh, civil law. The common law, there is the ceremonial law, the holidays and, and so on. And in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath day holy. But in the text here, we see that there was wiggle room and that Jesus gave an example of David eating the holy bread, which was not lawful to do. In all the Ten Commandments, there is not any wiggle room except, apparently, in the Jewish Sabbath, that there could be some exception. In other words, there's never a time when it would be you would be allowed to commit adultery or tell a lie or to covet your neighbor's goods. But on the Sabbath day, it would be allowed if a child fell in a pit and was in trouble and needed to be carried quickly to the Parents, uh, you could pull the child out and carry the child, even though by the law it would not be allowed. And Christ is saying there's something deeper than the regulations of the Sabbath that the Jews were following, and that is love. And that he could heal on the Sabbath. And by the way, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's look at the Sabbath for a moment. Turn to Genesis 1, and we see it written there for the first time. And we could look at chapter 1, and you can see when he did something, not every time, but he did something, he said it was very good, or it was good. We see it in verse um, uh, 10, and it was good. And then again, verse 12, it was good. When he made the animals, he said it was good. Uh, the, the lights, verse 18, the stars, and it was good. Verse 21, the whales and living things, and it was good. Do you see it? And then at the, at the end, he made man, chapter 1, verse 26, and when he looked on everything he had made, verse 31, and behold, it was very good in the evening and morning were the sixth day. So we want to use this just to kind of help you think with me. Here is the way of man. And then there is the thoughts of God, the love and the thoughts and the ways of God. And I want you to see something here in the story. Chapter um, 1, verse 31. When he saw everything he had made, behold, it was very good. And he rested. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. The heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day 
from all his work which he had made. Wait a minute. God rested? I didn't think God ever got tired. Huh? God rested? What does that mean? God rested like he needed to take a rest because of the work that he did? Or what does it mean? And it's not explained. We can't find it. We only see that when he finished, he said it was very good. And that is connected with the whole idea of rest. He is satisfied. He did it. He finished it, the creation. He was done with it in the six-day period. And when he looked at it, he said, it's very good. It wasn't yet perfect, but it's going in the direction. We read in our Bible that at the end of the Bible, the world becomes perfect. Actually, somebody in uh, evangelism, when I was sharing, and I thought of it myself, actually, why didn't God make the world without death, without sin, without the devil? And the answer is, he is. I used to say, uh, because he has free will agents, and they have the opportunity not to believe, and, and so on. And I would explain uh, sovereignty and free will. Uh, but then I, I realized, that, well, wait a minute, yeah. He's a perfect engineer that is making a perfect world without sin and without death, and that day is coming. Wow. Come on. That day is coming. He is good at it. And when he made it and he stopped and basically said, it's it, here it is, and he is satisfied with it, This is the problem that people have in this box here in life. And we have it even more than we could ever imagine because of our families, our jobs, our health, our relationships, our problems. It's not done. We are not satisfied. We do not say very good. Sometimes... It has happened to me, thank you, Lord, that I finished some project and I kind of sit back in the Lord and I find this satisfaction and that peace in what has happened. But you can't base your life on the good days. Your life has to be based on something bigger, and that is the Sabbath that he has prepared for you. Not the Sabbath in the box, but the Sabbath that he has prepared for you. This is another time when he said, it is finished, is when he said it on the cross. John 19, verse 30, Christ is on the cross, and he says this sentence that is profoundly important incredibly profound and deep when he says it is finished and bows his head and gives up the spirit. That sentence is related to you. That sentence has meaning in your life because it means God has finished something that you and I could have never done that we were on the earth to do it. God made man on the earth to keep the garden and have paradise and to fill the earth. But we can't do it. So he sent his son, and he did it. He did it. The essential machinery needed for that to happen, and it is going to happen ultimately one day, and it starts in your heart and in mine where we enter into something that is a lot bigger than us because Jesus said, it is finished. And now we enter into his rest. Let's read it because it's exactly like that in Hebrews 4. And we'll finish the message with this. 
but not in a hurry, because I know you are thinking about it and processing it. And we do go kind of slow and, you know, ask the Spirit to lead us in this. So look at verse 4. Again, there's a whole context. We're not taking the time. He spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Again, let me make a point. I don't think God needs, God's, you know, not rest like the way we, does God really get tired? Okay, why is it written? Why is it written? Because it parallels human beings. That human beings work, and they work in a world that is actually cursed. And they are actually under a curse. And we're working in a world that doesn't give us the rest, doesn't give us the peace. Have you ever, you know, met people that have difficult sleeping, difficulty uh, with depression, difficulty with their anxieties or self-consciousness, the constant inner voice accusing you or blaming you? I mean, we are people, and we need to enter into his rest. And it's written for our sake that the seventh day wasn't for man. It wasn't for man. He was made on the sixth, and it looks like he's been made to enter into the seventh day of rest, though he is a worker. Let's make that clear, too. Working is a great blessing. The work of a laboring man, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet in Ecclesiastes. Labor is part of our nature. We are made for that. That's what our hands and our feet and our mind and and things about life, we are made to work. And it's very good for us, but overworking and and the, the psychological struggles that people have where they don't have the peace is what we're talking about. So look at chapter uh, 4 in verse uh, <clears throat> 5. In this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remains that, there's some must, there, that some must enter therein, they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. He's speaking about the Jews entering the promised land. Entering into God's rest for them. And then it says in verse 8, if Joshua, says Jesus, yeah, um, in the, the Hebrew is Joshua, referring to Joshua who came after Moses, had given them rest by entering the promised land, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. Really? Where is it? How do I get it? I want it. I think us being here tonight is part of it, to learn about it. That some people don't know about it. They, uh, uh, all of us have to learn about it. You know, when I went to Bible school, I was sitting in classes, and sometimes I was like thinking, I need to do something. What should I do? Let's do an outreach. So we would do an outreach, but then I would be happy to come back to the classroom and sit and listen and be part of it. And pastor would say, relax, wait on God. We are God. God wants to teach us his thoughts. We have to process life not by our busy schedule, but by an attitude of worship. Like Moses saw the burning bush and God said to him, take off your shoes. Like, what do shoes mean? It means that I can run, I can walk far, I can work. But when you take your shoes off, you can't run and, and walk far, and you, your feet are sensitive, and it's like slow down. You are on holy ground. Be vulnerable. Surrender. Trust me. Prayer. 
There's no rest in prayer. Yes, there is, but don't be guilty about it. Don't fight with yourself. Get beyond it. Wait on God. Receive from God. Let God love you. God is for you. The work is finished. Enter into his rest. By hearing, by trusting, don't beat up yourself. Don't turn inward. Don't disappear. Don't withdraw. Don't live in a depression. Come on, let's go. Let's go by faith. Come on, leave your house by faith. Get off the couch by faith. Come on, let's go by faith. There is a rest for the people of God. A rest of love. Not not like a narrow world, but a, a deeper world. Not a narrow one, but a, a deeper one. So let's read it. It says, He that has entered into his rest, he has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. There's nothing more to do regarding salvation. You are saved by grace. There's nothing more to do. There's nothing for you to do to vindicate yourself or justify your existence. Do you know that sometimes we do things to justify our existence? Why did you do that? Because I want my life to mean something. And sometimes we do it in the most trivial way. We hang from a cliff and hang with a rope from a cliff to spray paint on the big rock, you know, like my name, you know, or the name of my girlfriend or something. Or I, 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 I donate a lot of money or I, I do a risk extreme sport or I do something to try to, to justify my life. But he that has entered into God's rest has ceased from that. He is not he needing to justify his, look, look at this. He doesn't have to justify his existence because he lives this way. I have the blood of the lamb that has justified me. I have Christ's life as my testimony. And I'm willing to surrender the rights to myself, to God. And we overcome uh, the devil, even ourselves. We enter into his rest. Let's finish up here. Chapter 4, verse 10. He that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. What do you have to do? Nothing. I remember, let me tell you a quick story. We had a ship we bought at Canino. Bought a ship from Norway back in the 80s, a 300-ton ferry boat that went from the fjord to the fjord in Norway, and it crossed the Atlantic. Ula was on board, and a group, they sailed it with a Swedish captain, and, um, and the ship was in docked in Florida. It came to Baltimore. It was docked in Florida, and we had our people on board. But then we had other mission groups joining us, and there was a time to unload the ship and load the ship with cargo. And our people were watching like a video, watching doctrine, watching, and then they were, uh, they were not working. They were watching a video, and the other... Missionaries said, wow, you people like you don't work. Like you just are listening to the Bible and so on, you know. Just a short little story. I want to make a point by it. But when the, when the ship had to be unloaded in the midnight, our people were there. Because it didn't matter. The system wasn't important, but the heart was. I'm not comparing missionaries. I hope you don't misunderstand. And this is all second-handed information, so probably who knows how much of it is true. <laughs> but I, I want to, I can use it to make a point. I can see that maybe somebody, like you're not fitting into this picture, but actually your heart is like you're doing something beyond, right? 
You know what I mean. Maybe, maybe we are out of the box. Maybe there is something about us, but do we have rest? You know, maybe we are relaxed. Maybe we're not knocking down all the points, you know, to be like very good missionaries or very good Christians, you know. Maybe we're not shoveling our driveway with the snow. We, we don't have it anymore. And maybe we are not, maybe we are not like our, our testimony. I've met Christians that say, you know, I got to have a good testimony. I live in this neighbor. I got to have a good testimony. And my, my attitude is like, it doesn't sound right to me. I never focused on my testimony. I focused rather on what we're talking about tonight. You enter into his rest and what happens when you're healthy. Like God created everything and then he, he sits back and he goes, you know, it's very good. It's very good. Has that ever happened to you? That you could be 70 years old and you can, you can say, wow, what a ride. Not too pretty, but man, I'm at rest. I'm satisfied because of him. He did this. He visited me. He spoke to my heart. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our thoughts can destroy us. Our thoughts, that's the problem in life. It's our thoughts and our ways. But when you are able to look back at, you look back at something and just say, man, that was, like Jesus, he's amazing. Did you lose a child? Maybe. Was it an overdose? Maybe. Did you lose a job? Maybe. Did you have a depression? Maybe. Did you have fear? Yes. Did you have any trouble? Yeah. But let me tell you something. Those things are not destroying my life. I've entered into a rest. This rest is the same rest that God had after he made the universe. That rest is the same rest that Christ entered into after he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. And that's the same rest that you and I are called into. And you have to process this. You have to learn it and think about it and relate to it and never let it leave you. No matter what you take home tonight from this message, just say, I'm not sure about everything that was said. I got to hear that again. But I believe that there is a rest for me. I believe there is no guilt. There is no condemnation from my heavenly Father, for Christ was judged on my behalf. I believe my heavenly Father is for me and never against me. I believe that God has a great plan, and we are in it, and he wants us to enter that rest. I want to finish with this. I've said that many times, but I mean it now. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. In verse 11, it takes some heart work, some effort to think about it, process it, and enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For here it comes. The word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I want to commend you tonight for being out on a Wednesday night. I, I find it a blessing in the middle of the week to have a little slice of heaven, a little piece of bread, a sister or brother with a smile. Somebody saying, I'm praying for you. Or you say to somebody, you hang out with them, let's go get an ice cream. Or go in the cafe. Or just to be quiet. Or sit quietly and leave quietly. Come early. Leave late. Come late. Leave early. Whatever it is good for you. You, you have, you are to labor to enter into that rest that God and the Word of God is living and He makes it happen. And He says, everything is naked and open unto Him with whom we have to do in verse 13. And so, I'm a butcher's son. My dad was a meat cutter. We grew up in our family running the store. We learned to cut meat, pump hams, make sausages, and we did all this. And opening up an animal was like just part of what we did. It wasn't a big deal. Open up the animal. 
And there it is, the, oil, the animal. It was cleaned, but it was the same idea, cutting through the joint in the uh, breaking a hind or a quarter and breaking it down and cutting into pieces and so on. Well, God does that with you. God does it with his word. And he goes into your spirit and into your heart. And he gives you something. I, I have a voice, but I, behind me is the word, right? John the Baptist was a voice, but the one coming after me is greater than me. I am only a voice, but the one coming after me is the word of God. That's what you are hearing, the word of God. That is able to do a divine operation in your heart, deep in your soul, and give you a rest. A rest for the people of God. A rest for the people of God so we can love and be happy about our, about about him. And that will make everything work. Okay. Amen. So pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for our assembly tonight. And we believe these things. And we believe you do a divine operation on us all through our lives. All through our lives, you will not fail us to build us up for us to have fellowship with you. And walk with your thoughts. Maybe somebody here is not a believer yet. We want to encourage you to, to ask God. You listen, say to God, I, I need you. I want you to save me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. He will. He will answer your prayer. He actually, you enter right away into the rest that he has prepared for you. And he'll speak to you. He will love you. He, will, he forgives you. He, he upholds you. Underneath are his everlasting arms. And his spirit will go with you, and he will never leave you, never forsake you, but empower you, lead you, and teach you in every area of life for you what you need. Always, in Jesus' name, amen.